Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. We breathe in. We breathe out. It's something so primal, so basic to our existence, we're not even conscious of doing it really. Breathing is the habit of the living. This is the California Report magazine. I'm Sandhya Dirks, in for Sasha Coca. And I've been thinking a lot about breathing. Who gets to breathe? The spiky crowns of the coronavirus latch onto the lungs, stealing your breath and painfully killing you. Most people who die of COVID-19 die basically gasping for air. In America, the people who are dying of COVID-19 are disproportionately Black. Black people are twice as likely, possibly more, to die of coronavirus than white people. That number sounds hauntingly familiar because black people are also two and a half times more likely to be killed by police. George Floyd, who died with a white police officer's knee pressed into his neck while he pleaded, I can't breathe. Racism. It'll take your breath away. Right now, people are risking their lives in the middle of one pandemic to stand up against another, the virus of police violence. It it seems like killing an unarmed black man is like a trophy, it's like a strike, and it shouldn't be like that. City after city. And I've been discriminated against by white cops here in Fresno. I got beat up. So yes, I've been a victim of police brutality. Day after day. Society is a contract. They come to chant. The people agree to it. To yell. To scream. Because the video showed a murder. To march. He should have been immediately arrested for a murder. To kneel. The uprising you see across the nation's different pain 
It stems from anger, it stems from decades of inequality. Getting older should not mean that I am one of the lucky ones. We are done dying. Being gassed, struggling to breathe, exposing oneself to a possibly deadly disease. What I seen before it started was peaceful, and so the police decided to do the tear, the tear gas. So when they did tear gas, it was a different story, but when I seen it from the beginning, it was a peaceful protest. It's like, you know, already, already I risked my life just being black and going out every day. So this, this virus is just another thing that's added to it, you know, just added collateral. I met Gregory White at a car caravan protest where more than 4,000 cars snaked through the streets of Oakland. I feel everybody's fed up. We're tired of this shit. You know, it's, it's like really emotional, you know, like it really hurts. It really hurts because it's like I just want to be valued. And it's like no matter what, you can't, you can't run in peace, can't shop in peace, can't live in our homes in peace. So you know what? We're no longer being peaceful because you didn't listen to us when we were peaceful. And because of that, we're going to let you guys hear us and everybody's going to be inconvenienced this time. We're over it. I'm frustrated. I don't want to be a black father in the next 10 years that has to tell the same shit my kids. You know, I'm really, really over it. Every city has a George Floyd. Honestly, every city has more than one. People who police did not serve, did not protect, did not keep safe. For us, right, for those of us who created Black Lives Matter, um, it really does kind of start with Oscar Grant. 2019 marked 10 years since Oscar Grant was killed in Oakland. In that decade, the hashtag Black Lives Matter became this movement. I made a documentary about how Oscar's death was a kind of starting point, one of many— a starting point in the fight for justice that's happening right now. So we're going to play that story again now, because it's important to unpack how we got to here and why people have had enough. And just a word of caution, there's some audio in today's show that some of you may find disturbing. Let's go back to New Year's Eve, 2008. I was at home, I can remember watching the new year come in on television and the ball drop and all that. One happy new year! I was at home actually in our living room watching TV. I had the TV on. It was kind of watching me really. And laid down to go ahead and get some rest and was just troubled in my spirit. And I could feel Oscar pulling at me. Cephas Johnson felt the presence of his nephew, Oscar J. Grant III. It was like a tug. At approximately 1240, I went on and texted him and I said, Uncle love you, God loves you, God loves your family. A couple hours later, Oscar's mom, Wanda Johnson, was half asleep in her living room when she got a phone call from her son's fiance. She had said, Oscar had been shot. I jumped up screaming and we went to the hospital. And I got a call, it must have been three, four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning from my sister, saying Oscar had been shot. I'm like, what? And he's in the hospital. Some of Oscar's friends were there. And I started asking them what happened. They started telling me he wasn't even doing nothing. He was laying down. I said, what do you mean? And they said, a police shot him. Specifically, BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit Police. Their cell phone video, shaky, grainy, a packed BART train, New Year's Eve. I'm just recording. People pulling out their phones. 
a police stop. Black men against the wall, then one on the ground. One white police officer holding him down, another white man in uniform, BART officer Johannes Messerly above him, reaching for his holster, pulling out a weapon, leaning back, pointing and firing. Cell phones recording it all. Was totally unaware that it was a police officer that shot him when I first got the word. Then when I, when I began to get the word of, of him being shot by the police officer, uh, of course, many questions came in my mind, sadly, some even wondering, well, what did he do? It was a scene that no parent wants to see. Um, he had machines all over him being hooked up to him. He had, you know, the thing in his mouth and his nose and his arms all over because of the way he had gotten shot, he just shattered and put a, fragments of it put holes in his all, all his, in his inside. When they tried to do blood transfusions, it was just spreading all out over his body. The more they tried to fill him with blood, the more it poured out. He was declared dead at the same hospital where he was born. We cried, we hugged, we cried, we hugged. And we just um, started talking about all the memories with Oscar. As a kid, Oscar was always funny. Um, he loved to go to church. Um, at church, he would be the loudest person singing in the choir. Even when he sat, in a, sit with me in service, when he, it wasn't his time to sing, I would be covering his mouth. I would be taking him out to church so he wouldn't be so loud. But that was the personality he had. Oscar Grant died of a gunshot wound fired by a BART police officer. He was unarmed, shot in the back, lying on the cold concrete on his stomach by one BART police officer while another held him down. Uncontrollable grief grips the hundreds who file into the church to mourn Oscar Grant's death and remember his life. Oscar, man, we would like to start just by saying we love you and we will miss you so much right now. A family member shares her favorite memory of the day Grant's daughter was born. Oscar came to the hospital. He was so proud. And he drove up in his goldish brown scraper. And he had these huge pink It's a Girl flags on each side. <laughs> and my Aunt Vicky said he drove those around until they disintegrated. I actually still have the flags. A mother keeps these things, flags, reminders. At the same moment Wanda was mourning her son, at almost the same moment he died, another Oscar was in the process of being born. A face in a movement. He was so young, only 22 years old. That picture of his face, the black cap, his still round cheeks, and gap-toothed smile. Or the one of him holding his small daughter up in his arms. Another Oscar Grant was coming into the world who would come to represent the lives of so many black men, taken by police. In the decade to follow, his face would join the faces of others. An album of the dead. Trayvon Martin, a 14-year-old in a hoodie, buying Skittles killed by a self-proclaimed neighborhood watch captain. Eric Garner, whose last words were, I can't breathe, choked to death by New York police. Michael Brown, unarmed, shot by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. For hours, his body left on the street where he was struck. 
Those are some of the deaths that were still to come. There are also those that had come before. A decade before Oscar Grant, Amadou Diallo was killed in a barrage of 41 bullets. Police mistook his wallet for a gun. In 2006, Sean Bell was killed by four officers, also unarmed, also in a shower of shots, both in New York, both black men. Bell's mother and fiancé called Wanda Johnson after Grant was shot, almost to say, welcome to this terrible, terrible club, the one no one wants to be a part of. They called me, and they wrote me a letter encouraging me. Um, And I didn't want to be encouraged. I didn't want to, you know, talk to anybody. I didn't want to deal with it. She sat in the dark with her pain, the what-ifs and what-could-have-beens of a parent whose child dies a violent death. Because at that time, I was blaming myself for it. I blamed myself for a long time. I instructed him to take Bart. He was like, no, Mom, we're just going to drive. I said, no, Oscar, you're just going to take Bart. From him taking Bart, I never would have imagined him that he would lose his life um, by somebody who's hired to protect and serve. There was something different about Oscar Grant's death. Not that he was young, black, unarmed, killed by police. The reason Oscar lived on, this second Oscar, was because so many saw him die. Two new videos surfaced today in the shooting death of a young man, New Year's Day, at an East Bay BART station. One of the young ladies who videotaped, she called, she got a hold of us and said she had a videotape of what happened and that Oscar shouldn't have died. And we told her, just take it to the media then, you know. Video by 19-year-old Karina Vargas. You can see this is the BART door. I'm in my BART train. They're pulling these boys out of the train. And that's what she did, and then it started coming on television. He's being cooperative, then they start, you hear the gunshot, turn back, look at his face, he's in pain. I couldn't even watch it. I ended up watching it. Oh, maybe it was, I don't know, it was a long time after. When you, when you did first watch the video? I screamed. The footage would go viral in a different way than things go viral now. At first, like a trickle, spreading in whispers and phone calls, that second Oscar slowly roaring to life. That's how an Oakland activist named Kat Brooks heard about it. Before Oscar Grant, Brooks was an aspiring actress. She'd been away for the holidays. She was just pulling up to her apartment in Oakland when she got a phone call from another activist friend. And this guy said, hey, sister, hey, sister, do you know where the rally is at? And I said, what rally? He said, for that brother they shot. I said, who? He said, man, they shot that kid in his back. And there was, there was Oscar's murder, um, sort of on replay. I just kept watching it. I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. I got sick. Uh, I was shaking. I was so angry. I was crying. And um, it's what I've, I, I've called since that time my enough moment. Um, I just had enough. You know, he wasn't the first black man, certainly wouldn't be the last one to be killed by police, but there was something about him at that particular point in time, the brutality of it, the viral nature of the video. I, I don't know. That video with the eerie silence before and after the shot, almost like a pause. An audible hole cut into the world that Oscar fell, was pushed through. 
that, unbeknownst to me in that moment, would change my life forever. I'm Sandhya Dirks, and you're listening to a special episode of the California Report magazine. We're looking back at how the killing of Oscar Grant by a transit police officer helped spark the movement for Black Lives, the movement which is spilling over into every inch of this country right now. But let's go back to 2009, to the streets of Oakland. The streets of Oakland swelled with people. You can hear the way unspeakable grief walked side by side with rage, the way chants center a crowd, giving them a heartbeat. People chanted justice, wanted justice. They wanted Johannes Messerly, the officer who had shot and killed Oscar Grant, to be held responsible. Messerly had resigned from the force, gone to Nevada, but he hadn't been charged with any crime. It's almost funny if you think about it, how the term we use for social change led by citizens is called movement. The suffragette movement, the civil rights movement, the movement for black lives. Funny because of how slowly it takes for change to happen. The act of protest can be like trying to move a mountain. The only way water can cut into rocks is with time and pressure. And sometimes, lawyer John Burris says, in small ways, it works. The community came together, put enough pressure on the district attorney uh, to get a, a prosecution. But for that pressure, there would have been no uh, prosecution. Breaking news coming in from California. A former transit police officer who is white has just been convicted in the shooting death of an unarmed black man at a BART train station in Oakland, California last year. Johannes Messerly was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, innocent of second-degree murder, sentenced to two years, what Burris calls a lunch break. The jury's decision uh, to me was a compromised decision. Messerly was a compelling witness. Uh, he uh, was very emotional on it. And, and in police cases, the police get the benefit of the doubt for the most part. You could see factually how it could be murdered, but then you can't have murder if you believe anything he has to say. Uh, and, and plus he had no history uh, of being a bad guy. The other guy was. The other guy. Officer Anthony Peroni, the one who held Oscar down with his knee, witnesses say, on Oscar's neck. Burris believes it was Peroni, called to the BART platform by reports of a fight on the train, who escalated everything. Peroni, who was the culprit, and when I say culprit, he is the instigator of this. He is the one that went on the train and yanked the young man off and was basically the one that engaged in a physical altercation with Oscar when it was unnecessary. Peroni was eventually let go from the BART police force. He joined the army. I definitely remember being tear gassed, which sucked. People were getting up in the streets. Alicia Garza lived down the street from Fruitvale Station. A few years later, she would be one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. 
Alicia tells this story about this bar, Café Van Cleef's, this iconic Oakland bar right around the corner from City Hall, from the plaza where so many protests happened. This was before downtown Oakland was filled with businesses. City Hall staffers, nonprofit advocates, and just everyone really would drink at Van Cleef's. It's a bar known for its dark corners stuffed with plaster statues and carnival beads, and for the grapefruit juice they freshly squeezed to make greyhounds. It came to be known, too, for keeping a tear gas kit behind the bar to help protesters. I remember one evening I was in there uh, finishing up a meeting and there was like protests happening. And I remember somebody running in and a cop was running after them. And I remember um, the door guy stopping the cop and being like, you cannot come in here and like pulled the gate down. The owner put a sign outside of Van Cleef's. I am Oscar Grant. We then slapped his face on a poster and took to the streets. And very soon, Oscar Grant became an international symbol uh, around police brutality, police violence, police terror. Oakland activist Cat Brooks. That was also the time of Arab Spring. People, um, you know, on the other side of the world that were engaged in their own revolution had signs that said, I am Oscar Grant. And I carried a great deal of guilt for a very long time around not properly having engaged her. Her, Oscar's mother, Wanda Johnson, who was absent from all this furor, who was grieving. A lot of the model of Kat's work now, her anti-police violence work, depends on working with families. That's a lesson she learned from Oscar Grant. There were other lessons, too, learned the hard way. Groups that came together and fell apart, like a coalition Kat formed right after Oscar's killing. That coalition would last for about three weeks, and then it sort of dissolved. And um, black folks and brown folks, you know, went back to work, and very well-meaning white allies stepped in to lead the charge. And there were a group of us black folks that thought that black folks should be leading. That was another big part of the discussion. Who gets to make decisions? How does white privilege play a role inside the struggle for racial justice? And who puts their bodies on the line in the act of protest? And those were some very difficult conversations during the Oscar Grant days. Very, very difficult. It's hard work, movement work. Long hours, no pay, little glory. And the wins when they do come are small. For people like Alicia Garza, they often don't feel like wins at all. Having that cop go to jail for 11 months of a two-year sentence was not justice. The fact that we could have these debates about was it voluntary, was it involuntary, rather than why the f*** do we even have police on BART? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why do we have that? And why do they carry guns? These were the conversations happening in people's living rooms and kitchens. Conversations that deepened beyond Oscar. I think it forced people to, like, really understand the nuances of, like, what you're up against and what does systems change actually look like. And so it's really important that as organizers around this particular issue, we are not just reactionary, we are also visionary, which I guess was another lesson in terms of Oscar Grant. It was, it was not just about responding when the state kills us, it's about what do we do to get in front of the state killing us in the first place. And the only way that we do that is by building alternative models, but also by engaging in policy work at the local, state, and federal levels. Black Lives Matter and other movements for black lives, even if they haven't yet changed the system, have changed the narrative. Oscar's mom, Wanda Johnson, has also emerged as a leader as Oscar Grant became Trayvon Martin, became Michael Brown. She's one of the mothers of the movement. Now it's her calling other mothers who have lost their children to police violence. 
She still mourns Oscar, her son, but she knows how much Oscar the symbol has meant. You know, I meet so many people. Oh, my God, you're Oscar's mom. Can I give you a hug? You know, um, she wanted to share love. And um, then I go home and I say, oh, Oscar. You know, and I'll say a couple of things to him. And I know he can't hear, but I'll just say, you know, something to him. And I'll say, well, just come hug me. You know, and I know he can't. But, you know, I, I come home and I grieve it privately. The fight for racial justice, she says, is a marathon, not a race. It requires, you know, the community not to grow weary, but to continue to press, continue to fight and continue to walk, continue to march, continue to protest, continue to cause the economy to lose economic power. Um, And when you do that, our system is forced to make a decision. Oscar became what could happen to all these kids, and they became frightened. So Oscar Grant became a rallying cry for protection, for it not to happen to them. Dear Oscar Grant, dear Oscar Grant. Dear Oscar Grant, as I craft this tweet on a southbound BART train that's pulling into West Oakland, there's not a single trip through Fruitvale Station where I don't remember your name. As an African-American male myself, my grandmother used to always uh, be afraid for me to go out on New Year's and Fourth of July holidays like that. It used to always annoy me. And I remember one year a tragic situation happened. It basically reaffirmed everything she was afraid of. And it's sad to say there's still crimes of similar nature being committed against our people every single day. Your life and your death taught me that, you know, you can die any day. Everybody will remember you, so your name lives on. My name is Anetchi. Darren Hollister. I'm from Richmond, California. My name is Andrew, and I'm from San Jose, California. You know, I never met you, but I love you deeply. And until I take my last breath, I will say your name. There are so many names to say. The names kept coming, keep coming, even now. George Floyd, Tony McDade, Rihanna Rihanna Taylor, Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Stephen Taylor, Taylor, Sean Reed, David David McAtee, Stephon Clark, Willie McCoy, McCoy, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Garner, Philando Castile, Michael Brown, Walter Scott, Trayvon Martin, Natasha McKenna, Tatiana Jefferson, Sandra Bland, Ayanna Jones. There are the names we don't say, names we don't know. There are too many to hold on to. There's a cliche for when you tell people, hey, it isn't going to happen anytime soon. Don't hold your breath. But what if you're not holding your breath? What if it's being taken from you? Then you don't really have a choice but to keep on fighting.
That's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Thanks to the KQED arts team for their dear Oscar Grant project. Special thanks to Pendarvis Harsha. Thanks also to reporters from KQED, KCRW in Los Angeles, and Valley Public Radio for gathering sound from the protests. Our technical producers are Seal Muller and Rob Spate. Cameron Frazier composed and performed the original score. Victoria Malione is our senior editor. Our team also includes Susie Racho, Amanda Font, April Domboski, Nina Thorson, Julia McAvoy, and Sasha Koka, who will be back with you next week. I'm Sandhya Dirks. This is the California Report magazine. Your state. Your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.